Hallelujah, Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for speaking into our hearts already. Lord, we thank you that we're connecting to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ruler of heaven and earth. Lord, you're God, and you're great, and you love us, and you've got plans for us. Lord, and you don't call us to walk alone. Lord, but you walk alongside us, even within us. You give us the power to live. Help us to live in your power, with your enabling, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit in this day. Lord, we pray even now, speak into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, let the flesh, life, Lord, fall away. Those things that we've taken a hold of that are just, Lord, just need to be cut off. Lord, we pray that they will be cut off, that we might be truly connected to the source of all life. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I, I've had this word connectedness going around in my mind, in my prayer life for, uh, for quite a few days, even weeks. And so I've known this has been brewing. <laughs> and I was speaking to um, uh, Dave Meath uh, on Friday, and he'd been reading something uh, that it was entitled Divine Connectedness. And I thought, isn't this amazing that God is speaking to the church I don't believe that God just speaks by his Holy Spirit to us. I believe you could almost go to a number of churches and often hear the Holy Spirit saying the same thing. And this is what excites me about this, is that it isn't just us coming together and having a nice time and reading a few scriptures. It's a divine encounter with God and the Holy Spirit. And he wants to speak into our lives. He wants to direct us and, as we heard before, to, to, to equip us. We, we're not to walk in our own strength and our own ability. I want to read some verses from Colossians 1 uh, and starting at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. I learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have a great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. There is so much in these scriptures, but these few verses give us this it's a great celebration of salvation. It paints a picture of a fruit-bearing plant, a living organism that keeps growing and bearing fruit in the world. It springs to life when the word of God's heard and it's understood. Its, its life source is Jesus himself, and we're connected to him by the miracle of spiritual birth, which grafts us in so that we can enjoy the life-giving sap running through its branches. The church is not an organization. It's a living organism. It thrives when its members are all connected to God and to one another with new life flowing through its members. Jesus is the life source. And by grace and through faith, we're joined to him. Epaphras brought a report to Paul and the other believers with evidence that the Colossians had received the gospel. And in these first few verses, we read uh, Paul's immediate response. He's rejoicing in their salvation, explaining how he knows that he, he, he realizes that their, uh, their experience is real, that they're truly born of the Spirit. Not because they said a sort of salvation prayer, but by the clear evidence of transformed lives. A true awakening had taken place in their hearts and a new community of believers had been born. And what's the evidence of their spiritual birth? How could Paul be so confident that the gospel had been received here? Well, by now, he knew the signs. And what to look for as evidence that someone's been born of the Spirit? He saw fruit. He saw the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. He says, from the day they heard and truly understood the gospel. He saw fruit appearing. As soon as we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, something in us changes. Our conscience awakens. Our heart is changed and new life begins. We begin to see uh, fruit, uh, spiritual fruit immediately from that time. Does anyone remember the day that you received Jesus Christ, the day you were born of the Spirit, did anyone experience something that just was just a miraculous change in your life? Something happened to you. Well, let's hear it. Come on, tell us about what happened. Come on. Yes, hey. Come on, what changed immediately? It doesn't have to be long, just in a word. Well, I just was at my rock bottom and Nisa prayed for me and I was just filled up walking over a bridge and uh, I was just like somebody drunk in the Lord and then I came home and spoke to my daughter led her to the Lord she was baptised in the Holy Spirit and we were like two drunks come on who else who put your hand up come on Pat thank you Rob um, I actually started to speak in tongues when I was in Dave's office and it was one of many many meetings where I pinned him to, to the chair and poured everything out but it was a day when I finally realized that 
my repentance was more than accepted by the Lord God. And it was a big repentance. I had an awful lot to confess. But I will never forget that feeling when Dave just gave me a few pointers and we started to pray and I came through in tongues and I knew I would never be the same again and I haven't been. (laughs) One more, anyone desperate to give one more testimony? Come on, Sue. Um, my journey to come to the Lord was when May and Albie Jones moved in next door and I tried to avoid them like the plague. Um, I'd had a really bad nervous breakdown and I was in Winnick. I was sectioned and I was in Winnick. And uh, when I came out, I wasn't much better, really. And, and then May and Albie and Pat Hayden, who lived downstairs started to talk to me about the Lord and I started going to Kingsway when it was in Gordon's front room. And bless him, Gordon came out to see me about 11 o'clock one night. Um, May had been talking to me about um, the Lord loving me. Well, I couldn't believe that because I'd done so much awful stuff that I thought I'd just gone beyond being loved by God. And Gordon came and um, talked to me about the love of God and forgiveness. And it was such a relief and the Lord, um, when, when I prayed, it was the strangest thing. All the anxiety that I'd known all my life, I'd never been calm, never had any peace, always anxious, always stressed, went. And I felt like I'd been wrapped in cotton wool. It was like he just calmed the storm. And I just was, I was radically changed after that. But thanks very much, Gordon. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's real. When I came to the Lord, you know, my whole heart was flooded with peace. I just knew a peace within. I didn't, when I was a young lad, when I was a young boy, the swearing around the house, and I used to swear at me, but that stopped immediately. Things change and we start to bear fruit because this is real. It's not just a fantasy. What happens is a transformation takes place in our hearts and we're born of the Spirit. We're given a new heart, a new life source. Something happens that is so real within us. We change. And we need this again. We need a renewal of the Holy Spirit, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to awaken us and refresh us and enliven us. You know, we have a testimony for this world, a broken world. People who are so far from God and are wondering what it's all about. And we can be light in dark places, folks. We need to draw in to God and draw near to him. Be refreshed in him, draw from the living waters. Read his word, pray, seek him, spend time with him. Allow God to fill us afresh, renew us. And awaken us. And when we go out, it just flows out from our very lives. It's that real. We don't have to try to be a good person, a pious person, whatever. What happens is we're transformed by the power of God. We're really, really, truly changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. There were so many more hands that went up. We could spend the morning, couldn't we, just hearing testimonies of the transformation 
of, of, of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And we need to hear this and be encouraged by these stories. Epaphras witnessed what is described as love in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills your heart, it's evident. A love that breaks through every natural barrier, like selfishness and greed and judgment and fear that might otherwise hold us back and from freely giving of our time, of our practical help, of our resources, of all of these things. Love breaks through. He fills us with his Spirit. He fills us with a deep desire for him and a desire also to see others blessed. It's described, this, this love in the Spirit is described for us in Acts 2. And we read from verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a community of people awakened, alive in God, and it's witnessed in their own hearts and in their lives together. You see, when we connect with God, something in us wants to connect in a new way with one another as well. For the love that's poured in to be poured out uh, through and from us. The church doesn't need a new program, another conference, but an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Revival always begins in the hearts of God's people. It's a divine intervention where a dying church is revitalized through the Holy Spirit. When, when he breathes again into the hearts and lives of people. Some people, it might feel as if the, the fire's going out, or the embers are dying down, but God comes and he breathes again and the fire lights and we suddenly feel and know a sense of the power and the awakening of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is what God is doing in this church and in many churches as well over the country. There's a number of people I've spoken to and they've told me this is happening more and more. This awakening of hearts. People knowing that Holy Spirit is reviving them, restoring uh, perhaps things that have been lost in their lives. I had a true story of a teacher who uh, taught uh, boys in a really, really difficult area. And the expectations for, uh, for them was very low. But, in fact, they were expected perhaps to go into drugs and gangs and uh, all manner of, of, uh, of things, and, and certainly not to have uh, good careers. But some years after the teacher had retired, it came to light that the majority of the boys that she taught had had remarkable success. Many of them had become lawyers um, and uh, uh, business people, politicians, don't boo at this, uh, <laughs> politicians, and they, they, they were successful men that they grew up uh, to, to become. And so they, tra they traced this woman down, they wanted to find her and find out what was your secret. What was the secret to the success that you brought to these lads with very little prospects whatsoever? And this uh, lady now in her 80s, uh, quite frail and elderly, she smiled and she said simply, I loved them. 
I loved them, she said, with the love of God. I think people really feel it. They know when you love them. When words aren't empty. You know, in those moments when things go wrong, there's a crisis or something happens or there's a situation, our immediate response to that, our reaction to that, says a lot, doesn't it? And if we have this love of God in our hearts, the immediate response is often a loving, right response. It just comes out of us somehow. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we get it wrong, don't we? And terribly wrong sometimes. And we go away and we spend some time with the Lord and we say, Lord, what happened there? And God just restores us. He gives us love again. He, he gives us the ability to go back to that situation and say, I'm so sorry. I missed it. Will you forgive me? Will you realize that this was uh, a mistake on my part, but I love you, I care for you. God is a restorer of lives, a restorer of relationships. When we connect with God and the Holy Spirit, something happens. You see, we have to make right choices as well, don't we? You know, love is a choice as well. It says love is patient, it's long-suffering. Love is kind. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love of God, the agape love of God, it's not a natural thing that comes from our flesh. It's a thing of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit. And if we lack it, we need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Filled again. And allow the Holy Spirit to renew love, restore life, the joy and the hope that we need in him. I also um, heard during the week of uh, an office worker I was told about. Uh, a young Christian lady whose uh, workstation was moved uh, to an area of the office uh, that was known for being a place of gossip, of just toxic atmosphere in the office. Terrible place. No one wants to be there because it was just a place of utter darkness. And she resolved when she was moved there that she would pray, that she would pray for those, uh, the office workers, that she would be um, uh, not saying anything, uh, not joining in the gossip, not joining in the negative talk, but to speak life into that situation and to be generous with people in that area. And only after a few months, it became the place to be. People wanted to work in that corner of the office because it was a place where people laughed, where people enjoyed. It was the most productive part of the office because she brought life into the darkness. This is what we do in Christ. Something in us Changes so that we bring light into darkness, life into difficult situations. It's very practical, isn't it? It's, it's not just up there somewhere. It's something very real that becomes part of our daily walk with God. When we connect with the love of God, something in us wants to share that with other people. You know, we often develop skills around disconnection. What is the safe distance to, to, to keep between myself and other people? What, what am I comfortable with? What am I safe with? 
Where do I feel secure? So we keep a safe distance, don't we, often? Maybe it's because we don't want to be hurt or, uh, or perhaps we're not used to connecting with people. We're so used to our mobile phones and our devices or whatever. We're just not used to actually physically being in contact with other people and, and sharing life together. But we like to keep safe distance. I believe God wants to change that. I believe he wants us to start drawing into relationship and to connect in, you, in, in, in a very real way. And that leaves us open, doesn't it, maybe to be hurt. Maybe, uh, I'm not perfect, and neither is any one of us. We're going to hurt people, potentially. We're going to say things maybe that we were unthoughtful, maybe miss things, forget things, whatever it might be. But when we draw into relationship, you know, there's a risk of being hurt, isn't there? But that's where forgiveness comes in. That's where repentance comes in. That's where the life of the Spirit comes in. That's where we actually start to make a, a, a commitment to connect to one another. You see, it's where every joint supplies in the body of Christ. Isn't it? That's where there's life in the body. It's not in distance and separation. It's in connection as we join together. As we all enjoy the life and the flow of the Holy Spirit. You see, if I'm awake in God, I want you to, to catch something that I have. And if you're in, awake in God and in the Holy Spirit, believe me, I want to catch what you have in God to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And that has to happen through relationships. But I believe that Satan wants to destroy relationships. He wants to disconnect people. He wants to sow distrust and lies and hurt and all of these things. We need each other. We need God and we need each other. In John 6, verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. When Paul O'Higgins spoke recently, he said, The church has been in the training season. Now it's in release season. We're in a season of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us, not only receivers, but now transmitters of his life. I believe that's right. I believe this is the time to receive and to transmit the very love of God. We need to pray, asking the Lord to manifest his love and his presence in and through us every day. In John 7, verse 37 to 39, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. Jesus has been glorified. The Holy Spirit has been given. This promise is for us to be filled with the overflowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need this. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this uh, scripture I read, it says, the, the, the Apostle Paul explained that now that he sees the awakening has happened, they were getting down on their knees and praying. And they hadn't stopped praying since they heard about them. Isn't that amazing? You hear about an awakening hear about the gospel coming, life coming to the church. And what do they do? They get on their knees and they pray. 
And they seek God for more, for a greater outpouring, for more of the Spirit. You know, we shouldn't just think, oh, we've got it now. We've got, there's so much more. We need to pray and seek him with all of our hearts. Fervent prayers began for the new believers. They knew this was a critical time for prayer. If they're going to endure, be established in the faith, grow and remain fruitful, nothing less than the power of Almighty God could keep them aflame. We need a miracle for salvation, but we need the miracle of God's keeping if we're going to walk the walk. We need the Holy Spirit active now all the time. If there's going to be a continued overflow, then we need this. We need to be filled afresh, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to, to, to explain in these scriptures exactly what we're connected to. This is your power source. You're now joined to Jesus Christ, who's the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. He made it all. He rules over it all. And now we're in his kingdom. This is a glorious life. We've been translated from a kingdom of darkness, of despair, of fruitlessness, into a new dominion, new kingdom, a new life in Christ. It's real. I've been moved out of darkness and into light. And I don't want to go back into the darkness. And it's so easy to do that. It says in verse 23, if you continue, you need to be grounded steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, keeping your eyes on eternity and walking the straight path. Paul labored, not in his own strength, he said, but with all his, the energy that God gives him, he says, which powerfully works in him. And he saw that the need for every one of us to have this. We need the Lord. We need his strength and his ability. Aren't you glad that we can draw from his power source, strength beyond ourselves. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus didn't give his disciples a list of programs, of methods, of strategies for church growth. He simply told them to stay connected to himself. Abide in me. His plan was to wake us up, to make himself known then through each one of us so that we can become the channels of the love of God. When we go through hardship, when we go through frustration, uh, uncertainty, and life happens, we can cry out to God saying, I can't do it, Lord. And he replies, well, I hoped you'd say that. God has never failed me. And I know he's never failed any one of you either. Awakenings, revivals, or whatever we want to call it. It happens when people come to the realization, or when it happens, people come to the realization of why we're here and what we're living for. Epaphras, it says, was a man of prayer. And in, uh, later on, it tells us about his prayer life as well. I, it's, it says in, in Colossians 4, it says, um, he's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in him. And in all the will of God, mature 
and fully assured. Wouldn't it be great to have someone wrestling in prayer for you? I believe God wants us to wrestle for prayer for one another. Paul, he says, he says, pray for me that the message I give might be fruitful and effective and powerful. We need to be praying for one another. We need prayer. And I believe God, by his spirit, will put on your heart and on our hearts people we should be praying for as well. A number of times, even recently, I've been woken in the night and prayed and people have been put on my heart and through the day, people to pray for. I believe this is what God wants. Pray for one another. Pray for this revival in the church to continue. It's not just going to continue without our prayers. We need to pray. Lord, come. Continue. Cause more and more fruit, more life to grow in the church. I'm going to have to speed through and finish soon. After God had answered Elijah's prayer on Mount Carmel and fire came down from heaven as a sign that the people were turning to God and their hearts were turning back, there was a terrible backlash and Elijah ran and he hid. And God gave Elijah some bread and some water, telling him to eat the bread and drink the water because without it, the journey he was about to take was going to be too much for him. And on the strength of that food and the strength of that bread and of that water, it says that Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights to go up the mountain of God where God appeared to him, as we know, in a still small voice. This was miracle food. (laughs) This was bread from heaven, sustaining him for a 40-day journey. this This is miraculous. But this is the kind of food that God gives. Miracle food. Not for a natural journey, but for the spiritual journey every one of us is on. Imagine for a moment that you're climbing a mountain, okay? And you've got all your gear, your ropes, your pickaxes and whatever else you've got with you. And you're really going for it. And, and as you're, you're climbing, you're clinging to the rocks. You traverse treacherous ledges. You're climbing these steep slopes. The wind's blowing. The rain's lashing down. The clouds surround you. And as you continue to climb to higher heights, the, the air gets thin. And eventually you reach the top where the air is almost unbearable to breathe. But you made it. You've climbed and reached the summit of the mountain. You stand there proud of your great achievement and the clouds start to lift. And as they do, you look and you see a bigger mountain. You see before you a huge mountain. It soars to the very heavens. And as you stand on what looks now like a little tiny hill that you've struggled up, you see a greater hill, a greater mountain. An impossible mountain to climb. And God's calling you up this mountain. And you need spiritual food, spiritual sustenance to get there. This is the truth that God has called us to bigger things, to better things, to higher things than this world. He's got a calling on our lives. And he wants us to feed on the real food, the spiritual food. You know, we will not be sustained by natural food for the journey God has for us. We need the life of the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, 
if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. We've got to be firmly rooted and established in Christ, abiding in the vine, joined to the head that is Jesus Christ, embracing God with all of our heart, our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Every living fibre in our being needs to take hold of God, the source of life in the realm of the Holy Spirit. We're called to the heights. Every believer has access to God. We don't have to stand at the base of the mountain and watch Moses, as it were, going up into the, into the mountain. We're called to go into the mountain. We're called to the holy place. We're called to commune with God. It's there that we hear what God is saying. It's time, folks, for us to get serious about our walk with God, to spend time with him, to be renewed in him, to walk with him. And Jesus' prayer in John 17 wasn't just that we would be one with him, but also that his people also would be one together, just as he and the Father are one. Think about that for a moment. He said there wants a oneness in our relationships with one another that is the same as his oneness with the Father. Let that sink in for a moment. That there's such connectedness and love in relationship with one another that people see something so different in the community of believers that, they are, that it proclaims the gospel. If you read that scripture for yourself, you'll see that what is happening as people are joined together, as people uh, truly commit to relationship with one another, that people see the love of God and they say, surely, surely God is in, in, amongst his people. Jesus is real. I see it in their lives. God wants us to commit to him, but also to one another. To stoop down, as it were, as Jesus did, and be a servant of all. To give our lives to one another, sacrificially. We need to understand what's at stake when we refuse to forgive someone. When we take offence or give up on meeting together. It's not just friendships that are in jeopardy, but we're actually destroying the house of God. We need to forgive one another. We need to love one another, be patient with one another. We need the Holy Spirit's power to do these things, folks. It's not a natural thing. We need the love of God working in us and through us. We're going to break bread together uh, now. And I want you to examine your own hearts and if you're out of sorts with anybody in the fellowship, in the body, or even outside of this church in relationships, then you need to get your heart right with God first and foremost. But I would also ask you as well, until you've sorted out things in relationship, let the bread and let the wine pass you. Don't pretend everything's okay. God sees. He sees the truth and the reality that's going on in our lives. We can't hide that. And we don't want to come under his judgment, do we? So I take this as a serious thing. A wonderful thing, though, is that when we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That we are clothed in the very clothing of Christ, that we're robed in righteousness. We enter into the presence of God 
and speak to God and he speaks to us as if he's speaking face to face with Jesus. We're so pure and right with God. Isn't that wonderful? That we have free access. But get right with, with one another as well. So I want us to, to bow our heads and then the, uh, the, the communion, the bread and the wine will be, will be served. Thank you, Lord. Father, we don't take lightly all that you've given us, all you've done for us. Father, we realize the seriousness of relationship, Lord, of being right first and foremost with you. And I thank you, Lord, that even when we're unfaithful, your word says you remain faithful. Even when we walk away, Lord, you, you seek to bring us back into fellowship with yourself and restore us. And I, I pray for those folks here today who perhaps have allowed the coals to go dim. Father, I pray that you will breathe again new life on those dying embers and awaken their hearts and their lives. Awaken us, Lord. Renew us. Forgive us for all of our wrongs, Lord. Help us to walk with you. We need your spirit. We acknowledge our weakness and our need of you. Forgive us where we have failed to forgive other people that we would now just turn and forgive them. Lord, and, uh, and make right and commit to a relationship, commit to being joined to one another. Holy Spirit, search our hearts and know us. We thank you for this gift that you've given us the opportunity to break bread together, to remember your death on the cross, your blood that was shed for us, that we might be completely, totally forgiven, washed and restored. We thank you for that blood shed for us. So Father, we do just, uh, as you say, we remember you. We spend this time of reflection in remembering you, acknowledging you, thanking you, worshipping you for all that you've done for us and continue to do in Jesus' name.